hello 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 i'm just here editing the final two episodes of season one of prospero's pit yes season one coming to a close and i can't tell you why I've, i'm doing this accent but season one coming to a close and what 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 a what a journey what a journey all right it's gone it's it's done um yeah, if you know me and you've heard me talk about this, it's been an idea of mine forever. You can kind of see in the back how much of a psycho I am. Um, that's me planning this whole fucking season, bro. And uh, yeah, these final two episodes are coming out with some really cool guests, close friends of mine, uh, Buddha Teow and Clotilda Damaro. And we'll shortly get in there, but quickly a word from some advertisement from some sponsors, if you will. Uh, this is coming hot off the presses, Spartan Press. Um, boom. Look at that. That's a zine, ladies and gentlemen. If you know me, then you know also I've been talking about this zine. Sorry about smacking it on the table. But it's out, y'all. The Orphanage, Volume 1, Issue 1. You can get this in cash at your local bookstore on 39th Street and Bell. Uh, yeah, it's called Prospero's. Ever heard of it? I hope so. I hope, God, if you're watching this, that you know this bookstore I'm talking about in Kansas City. But look at this. Look at those names. Those are all local artists, local authors that are in this book. You should go sponsor us. I mean, I mean, really, go buy a copy and, and give back to some local artists because, listen, we've been spending the past half year putting this together. Uh, this beautiful cover is brought to you by D. Washer, uh, the featured artist that we have in this zine. Um, yeah, it's... Look at her. We got... This is a lot of work right here. This is a lot of work. So, please, go go support local. Go support your people. This is available at the front desk of Prospero's. This is local community storytelling at your local community used bookstore. Come on, it doesn't get better than that. Only here in Kansas City. Come on now.
Her tongue is so warm and long. <laughs> What's her name? Her name is Stella. She's so cute. How She's did you not find? Mine. Yeah, tell me more about Stella. <laughs> so, I started babysitting Stella last year. Um, I used to be like my apartment complex is like go-to dog sitter. Mm -hmm. um, and it got to the point where I was just like babysitting people's dogs and like crying about it when I had to give them back. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, it's time. I get my own. So I got a Great Dane. And <laughs> <laughs> he's like twice my size. Um, Damiano. Yes. He would be here if he wasn't so big. Uh, AKA the horse. He can hear he's you. He's huge. Yeah. And you got him because you love Great Danes. Um, I've loved them since I was little just because being tall was always something I was insecure about. Uh -huh. um, and when I was in kindergarten, I walked in the classroom and they said, whoa, look at that monster. Yeah. And that's what they do to Great Danes too when they're on the street. And so I thought that maybe I, um, we could just be in that world together. Right. And it's been very cathartic in that way. It always comes back down to the insecurities, doesn't it? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Everything started. One day, someone was mean on the playground. Literally. And that's when life began. Literally, actually. Kind that's of. crazy. My earliest memory was actually, um, I, like, I can't even, not my earliest memory, like just overall, but, like my er earliest memory of being made fun of was like, I don't even know what led me to do this, but just hunching over in the corner of the playground and like acting like a monkey, like by myself. It was my first day at school and I was new. And so I don't know what that was. As you do. As a, you I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think it was strange to me at the time. Like, monkey I think, bars. I think it was just, yeah. It was yeah. just, I was, I don't know. I don't know. But, um, so yeah, I remember doing that and then kids came over to me and they were like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And I looked at them and I went, ah! And then I, and you would just scream in their faces. Yes. And then I just, oh my God. and then and I they hopped were mean away. to you? <laughs> <laughs> Why? That doesn't seem like an appropriate response. Yeah, I don't know, dude. It's 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 funny because I can't. It's not like I was also like I don't really remember wanting or needing attention. Like I wasn't like uh -huh. pining for attention. It was just felt normal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these things feel normal to me until they're made not normal. To right. Me. You don't know not to act like a monkey until you're told. Yes. Don't act like a monkey. Yes, and I feel like that that really speaks to society and how society is structured. For real, honestly. Right? Yeah. I, I want to. <laughs> Let me act like a monkey. I mean, we're just glorified monkeys at this point. We are. But, yeah, um, this is Prospero's Pit, by the way. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is technically the first episode we've ever recorded, and I am accompanied here with my really good friend of, what, six years, seven years now? I think seven. Seven years. And counting. Performer, poet, social media starlet, uh, what else? What else? Uh, filmmaker, videographer, uh, life coach, uh, interpretive dancer, Clotilde Tomorrow. Wow. Hey. Hey. Hello. Here we are in the bunker itself, below. However, pound. How many pounds of books and literature? Yeah. No pressure though. For anyone listening, we're literally in the most beautiful, most like classic old-timey bookstore ever in the world and danny works here and so we just get to hang out here all the time and right. he, he made a podcast at least starting at this is the yeah this episode. this is this is our this is this is my vision here 
um, to talk to cool people like Clotilda herself and my camera. So it's just the two of us and this this camera here. So, and a bunch of bunch of books, and they're listening for sure. They're listening. Oh, the books are listening. Yeah. So, uh, if they deem like, you know, the answer to be incorrect. Uh, oh, are I'm we are we sure... being fact checked? Right yes. now, spiritually or like energetically, I guess. Yeah, I mean, my interpretation of walking into this building is you are immediately being judged, watched. Wow, wow. that's not true. I find the Prosperos to be like a very, very safe place. Yeah, actually, but there's definitely away from judgment. It's actually all acceptance, and it's almost. I guess when you first walk in, you feel like you might be being judged. But really, it's just the books getting to know you. It's the energy of the books witnessing you. Right. But they, some of them probably are judging you. And then oh, some of them love sure. you. For sure. There's definitely there's definitely some weird stuff going on in the air, but like we, uh, yeah, I, we're here late at night, too, after we lock up. So um, if any books start come flying off the bookshelf or anything... Uh, just ignore it. <laughs> I would just like, pretend it's Danny, not Danny, happening. If that happens, it's Danny throwing a book. So yeah, no, I, I'm just pulling strings. <laughs> I'm the puppet master. But um, yeah, where does even start with you is a question because where do we start? You you do so many things. You I would say you are in the business of self expression, mm. um, and that goes across like so many different mediums uh it's you kind of lose count but um i feel like you live by a certain mantra and i'd love to hear more yeah i just i i can't compromise at all with myself like there's nothing i won't give myself if there's an interest right i just i can't there are things that i accept might have a um I'll have a better focus on later on. Those things might feel less important to me right now. But then, like, let's say one of those things, we are to start doing it tomorrow. I'd probably be like, okay, no, this needs to get done this week. So it's kind of like a moment-to-moment thing. And I'm perfectly okay living like that. And I'm a, I'm ha- like, I'm joyful, you know? So it's not like it... I feel like maybe I used to call myself scattered because that was how other people saw me. But the more that I feel like I owned that scatteredness and it became something people loved, now they're like, wow, she just does so many things. Mm-hmm. But like it used to be like, focus on something, Clotilda. You know, and I just, and it's, I mean, there's there's some level of focus. Like I could give you a hard five to 10 things that are the priority right now. And then a hard one to three things that this week are the super priority. Um, but if tomorrow I were to find something that really, really, really blew me away, I'd be perfectly fine with pivoting. Right. Focusing on that. Yeah. And to give it like a little background. So um, Chloe and I, uh, we met in college. We both went to the University of Missouri. There goes yes. Stella. So if you're listening and you know me as Clotilda, uh-huh. uh, Danny knows me as Chloe, which is the name I grew up with. Mm. But Clotilda is my real name. Yeah. I just, I never went by it. Because... Right. Excuse me for using Chloe. Clotilda. No, I love it. No, yeah. use Chloe. I feel like it's usually the only time I really get upset about it is when people tell me like, uh, that my name's too complicated and they prefer to call me something else. Right, right, right. Yo, that's wild. I would mm. never say that to someone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I would never challenge your identity straight to your face. No, literally. I don't know. I think I don't know what it is about my energy that makes it seem like 
I don't know it's if it's okay to just be like, no, I'm not going to call you that, actually. I think it's just people. You're right. I don't really mind, though. I don't yeah. get too upset, pressed over it. But Chloe and I met in my, our cinematography class at, at Mizzou. And uh, I remember specifically when we were doing introductions in class, you gave your name and then you said that you were an aspiring actress. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I first knew of you was through acting. And so I had written a small little short screenplay and uh, was making my first short film at the time. And uh, I needed an actress. Uh, specifically, I needed this like seductress <laughs> that was fl- going to play. To preface, I did not know what I was getting myself into. Yeah, I just like, honest to God, like probably not word for word, but said something along the lines of like, wear something <laughs> and honestly though his energy off the bat felt so safe that like you would think this random stranger in my class telling me to come to his house so he can film me and wear something tight would be really alarming and as a woman that's something I should absolutely not do and if you're a young woman listening to this or any hey, woman hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Wait, wait, I gave wait. you a script I gave you a script <laughs> I gave you a description of it what don't we're matter. Do, but I was like when it comes to the clothing that you're going to wear, I need you to be like this dominatrix. Like she was supposed to be the, this like character that was like a metaphor or symbol for depression. And just like how there is a little bit of seduction when it comes to laying in bed all day and feeling sad and feeling down and not being able to do what you want to do. And so yeah, see, how could you ever get creeped out by him? Like, his verbiage is phenomenal. Like, if you were a creep, and you, I would never know. Oh, God. Like, I would Please. trust you with anything. Stella's barking right now. She's speaking up. I don't hear her. Is she, is she actually? She's okay. Hey, baby. Oh, my gosh. I think she just chose me. Come here. <laughs> okay. Stella's with me now. Yeah, she chose the leftover crust on your lap. That's what she chose. There's there's no leftover. I'm a clean person. <laughs> you crusty. <laughs> uh, or, or yeah. So basically, you came over. Uh, my roommates at the time were rip roaring drunk. Uh, we were in my first college home, my first college uh, place outside of the dorm. So if you can imagine a home in uh, Columbia, Missouri, that was being <laughs> uh, lived in by three college boys um and i was trying to do a whole production so i had like cleared everyone's schedule i was like i'm doing this so like be ready for chloe to come in and uh they decided not to listen to me and get really really wasted and so i was on edge to the max before you arrived because i was like oh my god this girl doesn't know me uh i'm already asking so much of her and when I, I was just, I was just a young and hungry yeah. actress. Yes. And if you are an actor, you know what it's like to just be down for it all. Right. Say yes. That seems <laughs> like, which is like a dangerous little piece of advice, ain't it? But, uh, it all went forward well. movement, all, forward yeah, movement, all went forward well. movement. The short was, I thought pretty good. It was my first ever narrative short and you killed it. I remember being very blown away by your performance and being like, wow, she's the real deal. You have to cut to a scene in the video version of this podcast. Yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I will cue, uh, I can't even remember the title right now off, uh, the top of my oh day by day 
This is a scene by day from day by day. All right, and we're back. And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Um, wow, what a ride! Uh, I just feel like that role was something like that version of me is something that I I feel like was always shamed, like any sort of like super sexual sexualized uh, uber feminine uh, role is something that like I really I still enjoy playing because I feel like that's just something growing up that I was not allowed to be mm-hmm. or not encouraged to be, mm-hmm. and so. When it comes to roles like that, put me on. Right, and you killed it. Jump cut to Wednesday. Yeah, we'll talk about you that. Killed it. I remember <laughs> editing it and like getting a little bit of chills of like your performance and stuff. And yeah, and I think that was the first time I was introduced to. That was the first time I was introduced to Clotilde the performer. Mm. Um, some you know, and so I'm curious where where that started, where you first found yourself. You know, I have something here that I want to share with others. I can't really remember a time when I like even began. Like I, I think that there are some things in life that I've wanted. So I've went after them and then I've gotten really good over time. And I love talking about that stuff. And then there's a few things, like very few things. There's a a couple things probably I could put them on my hand that I can just remember doing since I was little and coming naturally to me. And Performing was always one of those things, and I think it's just because I was actually a very introverted child, and my mom actually told me that I came to her in high school, and I was like, I want to be like you. (laughs) And if you've met my mom, you know this. She is the most extroverted, most powerful, can talk to anyone anywhere. East Coaster of the East Coast. Long Island Italian mother. Mm -hmm. Which, you grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, yes? New Canaan, Connecticut. New Canaan, yeah. Connecticut. It's near New Haven, though. Yes, near New Haven. It's just yeah. a jumble up there. Yeah. So. Which was quite the, uh, from the stories you've told me, it was quite the environment to grow up in. Yes. So there's that. And there, it's really not, was not, it was an environment that encouraged academic performance far more than creative. Mm-hmm. Like your value was your GPA or how good you were at sports. Because either of those things would get you into an Ivy League school. And that was, like, the goal for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all that being said, that plus just, like, being really shy, I think that performance was the only place I felt like I could experience myself in a different way. Um, And so, yeah. Filming and performance are very tied together for me, though, because – I loved filming and editing as much as I love performing, but I needed, uh, how do I put this? I would film myself so I could edit myself. So like I needed to be a performer so I could edit too, if that makes sense. Like I would film myself on my parents' computer and then I would edit the footage of me after. Cause I mean, I had friends and eventually like they would come over and I would edit footage of them. But I feel like performing allowed me to have someone to film. Mm-hmm. So it forced me to, to get better cause I really want to film and edit too. So like the thing, they both end up, um, uh, serving each other really well. Right. And fast forward at school, senior year, we're studying the same thing, documentary journalism at the Murray Center, uh, Jonathan B. Murray Center over there at Mizzou. And the final thing is we're making a film, uh, a film, a documentary film, to as basically our senior thesis, but also as our debut film. And so I help, end up helping produce yours, but it's all mostly footage of 
like archival footage of your younger self in these like recordings. And um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that, like what that's like to one as a child to be like so drawn to the camera immediately. But then also as a young adult now reflecting back, looking at through this footage, what do you learn? What do you learn about yourself? Where does that take you? So much. So much is the same. There's so much of me back then that I can see in myself now. But I've like added parts to my personality, I think, to, and this sounds so weird. This is like a recent discovery that I had last week, and I went dead silent for like oh, 30 minutes. Oh, this is a fresh, okay. hot off the press. This is hot off the press, and I hope people don't take this the wrong way, but I can kind of explain it. <laughs> well, kind of like what I said. Lock sa- in. If you're in the pit, lock in. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Kind of like I said when I looked at my mom and I said, and I, said I want to be more social, like I want to be more, I want to be more like you. Yeah. Because I saw the way that people like like, paid attention to her. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be paid attention to like that. Describe a little bit how she's paid attention to. Because it's uniquely... Unique. I mean, her voice just like commands a room. Like her presence commands people. And like I just watch her help so many people. Like she locks in with someone so quickly. And like can give them the exact advice, advice they need. And then go move to the next thing so quickly. And, and anybody can get it. Cash register, and, like cashiers, yeah, yeah. grocery clerks, yeah. uh, you're probably uh, school teachers. Yeah, no one's safe. In in the best way. Mom, if you're listening, in the best way. <laughs> um, and that was really admirable. So I think I kind of wanted to build a personality, essentially, mm-hmm. that like <sighs> made me likable, but in not in a way of like I need approval, probably in that way, but also in how powerful I saw kindness was and spreading kindness. And I think if I had stayed as like shy as I was, I wouldn't have been able to spread the kindness that I now do. And I get a lot of comments sometimes of like, oh, I'd love to do this, but I have too much social anxiety. When I tell stories about like, oh, I met someone today and we talked about this, we talked about this. It's not that it's not hard. It is for the first like five minutes. And then you, everyone will get to a point with someone else where they kind of start flowing on the same wavelength. But it takes trusting that you're going to get there. Even if it's 10 minutes into the conversation, for the first 10, you're like kind of like getting anxious, a little hot in the face. Like the anxiety eventually goes away when you lock in with another human spirit like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not every day. Um, but, and it and can go in and out. But I have found it to be far more beneficial to my life to go for it and get after it and talk to people than to just be like you know some days aren't the day for it but yeah it, it's it's awesome but uh what just, was the question again? well yeah i just want to say that i love the way you talk about like locking in with another human spirit because it does add like a mysticism uh, almost a magical element to your speech which i think um i think it's taken for granted in this day and age where so much is thrown at you uh whether it is over the internet or in person um, but that your words are magic. And um, uh, the way I've learned it, the way I've read about it, is that it can kind of go in two different ways, which is like light magic and dark magic. And that's usually your light magic is like words of affirmation, positivity, um, complimenting someone, building someone up, uh, because those words like hold an effect on you that person which is magic like if you say you look great today that feeling you feel Mm -hmm. hearing that Mm -hmm. is 
uh, an invisible thing that all of a sudden changes your day, like can change your year, can change your entire life. And um, yeah, so I just like really love the way you talk about communicating with people because it comes across when you do, when you do get in those like moments. Like an alien trying to figure out how to be a human. Yeah. That's that's what it feels like to go from being an introvert to figuring out how to be extroverted. Right. And it almost, it almost comes like, it is like you're almost interviewing people like all the time and almost just like you want to know more about them and their story. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's actually what helps me get over social anxiety. Mm. So like, Locking with you right now is what's going to help me be less aware of the camera. Mm-hmm. And like actually listening to your questions, it's going to help me be less aware of the camera. Right. And if I'm at a party and there's a lot going on and a lot of like stimulus and music and so many things, it's like, okay, do what I can to focus on the person in front of me, start asking them questions. So I start asking them questions and they tell me about their life. And the harder I listen, I know sometimes it's, it's hard, but if I can lock in, then they can start to paint a picture or a movie in my head, and then I can get lost in that, and then everything else doesn't exist, and the anxiety kind of goes away. Mm. So it's we, it's like this, it's like a. So it's almost like you're get, you are getting into social social interactions to reduce the social anxiety, attacking it essentially. That yes. is beautiful. <laughs> I have been saying this uh, recently. Another hot f- off the presses, Ooh. but that maybe that feeling you get that we call anxiety and um, that feeling you get of like uneasiness and fear, uh, perhaps maybe is a sign that you should go towards that thing. Absolutely. Uh, for for that's my that's my mantra. You yeah. ask me, you ask me a mantra. If it starts, literally, I call it like, do you know you know that feeling in your stomach? when you know you have to do something, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, at least I know it's a performer's thing. So if I go to an open mic and my plan is to watch and I get there and I feel that pit in my stomach, it means I'm about to sign up and I have no choice. And ev- every single time I've gotten that pit in my stomach my entire life, I can tell you I'm sitting at this desk and we're having this conversation right now because every single time I've chosen yes. And it's so hard. And so and not every time I give the greatest performance and sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not, but I know that I have to do it. I just know I have to choose yes. If In school when there was like auditions for this, oh, now I have to do another thing. Like there's just not, forward movement only there's no no other option when I know what I want the outcome to be which is I want to be an actor I want to be a singer I want to whatever it is you know Mm -hmm. which is whatever it is like what so yeah okay so let's let's bring it back a little bit because that film that I helped produce that you put out there that was your debut film is titled my name is Clotilda yeah so tell me a bit about that film tell me about what that was for you and what that experience making that film was like I just felt like we were in a documentary journalism class. Um, and of, uh, Continue to answer this question, but I'm going to just check to make sure the yeah. camera's still on. But go on. We can, uh, yeah, we'll cut. We'll wait. Take it back. Some, some bumps. First yeah, you're time, good, you're I'm, good, just, I'm just making sure. But yeah. Okay, so go on. We were in uh, yeah. documentary journalism together. Yeah, and a huge part of that class is understanding that anything you're watching ever is only ever a reflection of um, the filmmaker and their life. Way more than it's a reflection of anything they're filming. Because mm-hmm. they get to make every decision. They get to decide when the camera turns on. When you edit this podcast, you get to decide you know, what's in, what's out. And you could probably make this whole podcast a freaking horror story if you want or you can make it a romance or you can make it a freaking comedy like you get to decide that right 
Um, and so I was like, well, I need the world to know who I am before I put out any films after this. Like I need to at least give them some idea of, of just who I am as a person. So like, what are the things that make up me? Probably the things I haven't shown anyone yet. What are those things? My writing, my poetry, my emotions, mainly. It was like my emotions. It was like, I had never been vulnerable with the world in any way before at all. Um, in fact, I feel like I, in many ways, developed a very cold exterior in college, not in my intimate relationships and not with my friends, you know, but um, just, I think, I don't know, to the world on some level, just out of fear and stuff like that. So it was like, okay, what if my film, I put it all out there? Like maybe that will liberate me, no matter who sees it. It's out there. It's on the internet. And it'll be my deepest, darkest thoughts, poems, music, whatever it is, whatever the things I've been hiding, just throw it up out onto the world and maybe I'll feel liberated after that. And it was childhood footage that when I was little, I promised myself like, maybe one day people will see this, but right now the most embarrassing thing in the world would be for anyone at school to see this footage. So I had to do it for her. I had to show everyone at school and the whole internet, you know? And it's true. After that film, it, it is when I started posting on the internet. It's when I just really stopped caring because you heard me talk about the things and w maybe we'll link the film in this podcast. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of my poetry and, and some beats I made and footage of me being a child and there are some deeper meanings to things and whatever. It ties together a narrative somewhat, but... I mean, it, ch it also, it's challenging our understanding of documentaries, but also like... Our understanding of objective truth, but go on. Yes, yes. In a broader sense. <laughs> um, so, yeah, after I released that film, I was just like, it's not like you do one thing like that and then suddenly all your problems go away by any means, but it was also like, okay, now what do I have to be scared of? Mm -hmm. Like, there's going to be fear still, but, like, the more you do this stuff and the more you put yourself out there, the less scary it is because after you expose yourself, what what, do, what are people going to use against me? You said this? Yeah, look at my this and that. I've said something like this before. Like, you know what you're getting. So I try and be as honest as possible constantly so mm -hmm. no one later down the line can be like, oh, she said this. It's like, yeah, that's been me, you know? Yeah, and uh, like you were saying beforehand that it was pretty much an expression of your inner child. It was, it was, a, it was a love letter to your inner child the things that, like, what, because, like I said, a lot of the footage is archival uh, home video, which is just you as a kid. I don't know. How old were you? Nine uh, to 12. And it's funny because, like, I didn't know. I couldn't put those discs on a computer yet to, to edit them. Mm -hmm. So I would just stop the camera when it was time for a cut. Yeah. But everything was pieced together pretty well. Right. <laughs> and I left a lot of that in, but I still cut it for her. Right. Like she needed it to be professionally cut by me at some point so i had to do it for her you know right. and we do get a glimpse of a, a young young director in some of these clips <laughs> oh of, my gosh because you were just doing it with your friends and, I know. and it was like more it was more of like a play thing but one i of them know step out of line yo those are not your lines <laughs> i've been like that since i was little i still get like that but always in like a respectful context if people give me the position if i'm directing though like I'm a different Clotilda right. because I know what needs to get done. And I look at that footage and I'm the same exact way. And it's, it's funny. <laughs> well, yeah. Tell me what it's like looking back on footage like that as, as a young adult. So healing. When I see scenes of me like bossing my friends around, it's like the voice in my head now that tells me like, 
you're being too bossy or you're being too um, stern. It's like, no, you've always been this way and you're probably that way for a purpose because I think a part, one of my many purposes is directing. And that's a, a very necessary role when it comes to being on a set because things have to get done in a respectful manner, of course. But so, yeah, it's healing in that way. I'm still just as weird. Like there are things that I do in that footage that don't make sense or not that funny. Like they just are, are what they are. Like the monkey thing that we started this podcast with of me pretending to be a monkey in the playground and not knowing why I was doing that, but I was just doing that. Mm -hmm. So like stuff like that. Um, and yeah. Well, I'm curious. Do you ever find when you're looking back on some of these, this video of a younger self, do you ever find things that you don't like? Oh yeah. I, 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 I think that at first going through the process of old footage like was really like cringy because those were the things that at the time I considered to be really cringy. So those first responses almost stuck with me. Now they're completely healed. I love, I could look at any footage of me from any time unless it's recent. Like if it's super recent, I won't really look at it mm. for a while, for a while. Like I can guarantee you any videos I've made in the last month, I, I'm not looking at. But what do you think that is? Because um, I don't want to see how I'm being judged now, I think. I think I want to get past that first. Judged or perceived? Perceived. Perceived. Like perceived and then judged. Mm. And that's not to say I never look at stuff. Like I've been looking at my performances more. I try to. But for the most part, I'll just move on and look back a few months later and be like, dang, like that, I sang pretty good. But in my world, as soon as I posted it, maybe it wasn't that great, but I have to post it. So I post it, I move on, whatever. And yeah, it's crazy the perceptions we can have of things versus I'll look back at comments on old singing videos and people are like, we love this song. When are you going to release it? And I'm like, dang it, if I'd seen this, I probably would have recorded it right then and there, you know, but it has to be my process too. It can't be everyone else's process. So I, I trust that as well. Mm -hmm. do you find that interferes with your art like this sort of desire for validation it does both like it make it literally creates it and it mm. destroys it it's just these extremes that i'm constantly in that are like break you down build you up break you down and it's just adding layers to me that are so intense and beautiful mm -hmm. and fucking insane mm -hmm. It's crazy. Speaking of insane, <laughs> I want to go into the next chapter of our friendship, which, so, uh, Chloe and I had the great honor, excuse me, Clotilda and I had the great honor of graduating into 2020, our, the, the Lord, the year of our Lord and Savior. <laughs> we graduated in a, in a movie theater parking lot. <laughs> in a movie and it was incredible because I had a Beyonce shirt on and a venti Starbucks in one hand. Yeah. And that was allowed because it wasn't an official graduation. Maybe I'll queue up a photo of that, but uh, <laughs> it was literally in the parking lot of a closed movie theater for our degrees in documentary journalism. If it I loved every second. Omen, Everyone was so upset. And I was like, we're going to make history books. Yeah. Every other graduation is going to be just freaking get lost in the dust. Right. We get to look cool. Exactly. And so uh, 2020 happens, which was really a chaotic time, especially graduating because uh, for us, it happened during spring break, which was like a lot of people just kind of expected it to be extended spring break. But so people who went home just didn't really come back and so there wasn't like a whole lot of closure there and um chloe and i had uh their 
um, was actually at one point, yeah, Chloe and I sort of kind of had a little bit of a drift off where it was just kind of getting swept up into the co- the the mayhem, the chaos that was COVID, and uh, just kind of drifted to our respective parts of the country which was she was on the east coast i was on the west coast and um in los angeles and then one day i got a phone call from you and you're like i'm moving to la and uh you're like and i was like great let's hang out and uh so and so some time goes by and uh you moved to la i'm in la it's still covid there's still like intense restrictions la is on not on fire but it's not doing great uh, um, it was on fire. It was like, yeah, no, I mean, there were yeah, ashes that, on my car. Yeah, my I bad. Actually, it was literally on fire. Yeah. The west was burning. Um, <laughs> COVID had struck, uh, and, and our then, friendship was on thin ice. <laughs> and our friendship was on thin ice. And then I got a phone call, and Chloe calls me and goes, "Listen, I have an opportunity for you." Wow, we're really talking about this. <laughs> I guess we're talking about this. Yes. Because this is a big moment yeah, for, for you, yeah, yeah. for me, for both of us. Yeah. Because I get a phone call from Chloe, and she basically is like, I have this crazy opportunity that has arisen uh, with these people who are putting together a documentary crew. And as soon as I knew, as soon as they said documentary crew and asked me who I needed, I thought of you. And so basically, what you, you were like, let's meet up. Let's get coffee. Let's talk about this project that we could collaborate on and work on. And so I we met up, and it was on, uh, uh, it was it was in L.A., and um, we got coffee, and we were talking about this project. And basically, it was these like group of influencers that were trying to um, throw, <laughs> were trying to throw a music festival in the middle of COVID, in almost a protest of the covid restrictions that were being uh, that the city of los angeles was enforcing which sounds ridiculous but they were throwing out names they're saying like vlog squad like all these fucking people were just like they're gonna be there and this is happening and we're gonna pay you and all this and mind you this is covid they're la shut down there's no production work the degree that we both got is almost useless because nobody is working nobody's working and so we're stuck in this place or i'm stuck in this place you're telling me this you're all in you've been bought in you're you're, oh i have fully decided at this point yeah you tell because you were the one who first got the project and then you were pitching it to me so you tell me what you heard what you told me at that point about the project i think that like you when you are uh, making a career out of your passion at the very beginning, you're not all that, um, you don't have a lot of, I think, good discrepancy. Is that the word to you? Like, is, uh, that's not the word I'm looking for. Um, yeah, good discrepancy, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, you're just starting. You're you're fil- You don't really have a filter. Yes. Of yes. like what's bullshit and what's what's real. What's a real offer? Yes, and something that LA definitely taught me is like not just because something looks like it might be in somewhat in the direction of what you want doesn't necessarily mean that you should take it because sometimes we say, well, it's this right now, but it could be. 
already stop. Already it's a no. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to feel good in your heart immediately. And like, you know the difference. And if there's that feeling in your stomach that's like, ooh, this isn't good, but it could blank, it's a no. Mm-hmm. And also the people. You need to connect with the person who's making that, that right. offer. Because, I mean, LA is full of people who are who are just trying to take advantage of folks like us who were just starting out, who are just trying to get in. Also, I would like to say the pressure of having a college degree um, and being like, well, shit, I, we just paid all this money for this. Right. Uh, I need to like be doing like I need right. to be earning it back. I need to right. be making money. I need to be using this degree. I need to be doing something with my life. You need to start a career like the, all this pressure. Yeah. Of being a like 2020 recent postgrad. Right. Uh, was there. Also, like I. I, and you were in LA and you were making it happen. You were Well, I really wanted to like I didn't the the world that I, I was I was vlogger raised on like Tana Mojo and like I still love her so much. But it's almost like you start to like personify what that world looks like as like a few people who yeah, it's good to be around people who share similar passions to you. But being around people who do something that you want to do isn't going to make you do it. The only thing that's going to make you do it is you. But I heard certain names and I was like, heck yeah. Right. <laughs> no, but that that's so intoxicating in Los Angeles. Like is this idea of networking, of constantly networking. And so when names are thrown out there, it is like a type of currency where it's like, come to our event. Yeah. So and so is going to be there. every party has a celebrity who's going to be there at the end. Who's going to be there at the end of the party? He's going to show up <laughs> and he's going to make your dreams fuck. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, but so yeah, so basically, you call me. You say I have this amazing opportunity. We meet up, and you pitch this opportunity, which is basically these uh, group of producers and financers are trying to throw together a music uh, festival uh, that protests COVID regulations. Um, and they want to film a documentary about it. And this was when I like was like, me, like uh, just from the get go, I remember being like, oh, this sounds like not going to happen. But I'm like curious. I need work. I need to do this. But they unironically referenced Fire Festival as an inspiration. <laughs> as if they didn't finish the film. As in... <laughs> As if they'd started it and we're like, that's a fucking great idea. Pause. Let's start. Let's let's do our own. But basically that same night, you're like, I'm meeting with the producers tonight. Uh, There's going to be this like it was Halloween. So there's going to be a Halloween party. But the, the producers want to meet us and get uh to know us and like know fill us in. Right. It's a lingerie party. Yeah. So we show up. Basically, we get the address and we show up to this like. Okay, this Los mansion Angeles, in Beverly Hills, in Beverly Hills, and there's like nobody but like a security guard or two outside this like long driveway to this mansion, like this huge Beverly Hills house. And uh, mind you, these are all Airbnbs. Like these are all rented out. Right houses. at the time and during COVID, this is like the formula for influencers is that they will rent out a really nice Airbnb in LA or these nice places for a weekend or whatever, bring a bunch of people out, film it, uh, throw a massive party, film it, and then you have content for like weeks and you can do whatever you're doing in order to like fictionalize this lifestyle and show that I'm living this lifestyle as an influencer. Um, And so that was kind of what was going on. This was my first like full on 
uh, interaction with with influencer culture. I just like because wait because so what happens right is the security guard comes out, asks for her name. Someone comes out and it's like she's with me, and you're like he's with me, and so I'm with you guys now. <laughs> And so we walk in and we go to the top, like the side balcony. We go to the top of this mansion, like this top room. And I walk in and it smells like polo uh, perfume. Polo. Oh my gosh, I'm screaming. <laughs> you know. Ralph Lauren polo. Yeah, perfume. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like everyone's got their hair slicked back. They got all their, like, their c- collars or uh, everything. Uh, everyone's got their watches, their Mac laptops. It's just like a group of men and one girl. Uh, uh, maybe there's another one and one girl in in this um, uh, this this mansion. I don't know if we should mention. I just names. Let, let's just not mention no who names. these people are. Yeah. But because we don't want that smoke, and um, basically, uh, we walk in. I'm having holding my camera, and someone in the room goes, "Oh, the documentary crew's here." <sighs> God. And I, here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I've had to really get over this. It's a craft I love, but for whatever reason, like in the moment, sometimes it can seem like, uh, we're the little guys. And that's hard for me as a performer to feel like that. But I also know how important our job is. Right. Well, that's the thing about the camera person is like, oh, they look like they're just a shadow. And then they're the one that exposes everybody. Everybody. So it's like, yeah, think of the camera guys as the little guy at your own risk because that's (laughs) going to be the one that brings you down. Yeah. is that's the person making you look good or making you look bad. Yeah, and so, oh my gosh, Stella, come here. Come here. Okay, whatever. Um, but basically, uh, there's this, I remember we enter the building, It's all. it smells like cologne, and uh, there's all these guys, like these like finance guys on la- like Mac laptops, and there's this one girl who's like kind of really loud, and like uh, her theme was that she was going to be the female version of the Nelk Boys which if you're unfamiliar with the Nelk Boys are just I loved like, her personally yeah. I, any strong females yeah regardless you, you, of what side you're on I mean you're immediately you're immediately come here you can't go bark at me uh if you're if there's another alpha woman in the if there's another alpha in the room I'm you're, sold. you're going straight for it and you're like <laughs> tell me more yeah um but, uh, yeah, basically, you went up to her, immediately we became friends. I flicked on the camera and immediately started recording because I'm like, no question asked access? Perfect. Uh, although I am the only one in the room who's, like, asking about contracts and, uh, like, release forms, which was another red flag, which was like, oh, my God, uh, is this, this, is, this is a shit show. But what's crazy was below us, in this Beverly Hills mansion, there's just this pulsing bass that, like, no one is talking about. And there's just, like, this bass coming from, like, the bottom of whatever is below us. And I remember, like, not... I'm trying to ask, like, what their vision is with this thing. And they're telling me, like, aren't you sick of these COVID... Come here, baby. I did bring a mini Yorkie to the podcast, and we have to cater to her needs. Right. Um, But basically, oh my gosh. I think she wants me. Okay, I'm going to send her across the table. Come here, baby. All right. Um, She's back with mama. Yeah, we're good. But basically, there's this pulsing bass that's coming from the base of the building. 
And at some point, after asking questions and them telling me their vision of the the, the whole festival, which is going to protest uh, Mayor Garcetti's um, uh, COVID restrictions and just all this and all that, and and mind you that some uh, other influencers had just gotten in trouble for throwing these big house parties in the middle of COVID, and like they got shut down the police came shut down so technically me i'm the whole time i'm like danny we're on the cutting edge of history yeah, yeah. right now i'm all the, so I, mind I'm, you we're trying to be as unbiased as we can in the situation and professional and professional and just at the very least we've caught a bit of history that was my perspective on the whole thing was like no matter what we come out of this with we come out of this going down in history or at least having some history with us. And I'm looking at it more of like a fear and loathing to all my Hunter S. Thompson (laughs) fans that like, Hey, here's a story, I guess. (laughs) But uh, I was like, Danny, right now we're going to look real stupid. The world might hate us. Think about in 20 years, the footage we're going to (laughs) have. The whole time, the whole time they're telling me that all of their grand plans, I am like side eyeing Clotilda so hard. Like, are you getting this? Well, because there's half of me that's like in this circle of all these people talking business. It's like, yeah, don't fuck with the documentary crew. Like, And there's half of me that literally has lingerie on underneath my freaking LA urban outfitters, one color, monochrome, whatever freaking sweatsuit that's fully ready to go down and party after the meeting and be a part of that world. Right. Wanting to know what it's like to be a part of that world. Yes, and I remember this moment vividly because someone eventually is like, all right, a meeting meeting adjourned. adjourned. <laughs> Let's party. And I'm and like, the yeah. Door, <laughs> the door opens. <laughs> the door opens and revealed to us is three stories of this Halloween influencer party that is like going on beneath us this whole time. And I'm like in awe. Like, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm here right now. How did I get here? Just like a day ago, I was in my parents' garage thinking nothing will ever come of my life. And like my <laughs> career ne- like ended before You can it count started. on Clotilda. But here I am now standing on the precipice of just like <laughs> this. Like I'm literally looking down the staircase at like these like bodies like roiling below. of just like in this lingerie Halloween in this illegal, illegal party that's happening because it's not supposed to be going on. COVID's still going. But I remember being stunned and then turning to find you and looking back at you and all of a sudden you were no longer in the clothes that you were once in. But now you're in full angel lingerie with your my eyes are just glazed over yeah with your friend who's in danny who's that yeah she's like who's the weird camera guy (laughs) (laughs) uh he says he's making a documentary but i think he's just a pervert (laughs) take a picture of me (laughs) yeah and i think i did yeah um i became the uh the instagram photographer real quick it it was actually kind of interesting because then you are now a member of the party because, uh, I mean, you you tell your perspective on on that night. I don't know. I think it's always been me as like a like a filmmaker is like I we tend to film really exciting things whether it's like 
a, we were at a wedding two weeks ago, yeah. and the cameras go down at some point, and then we're partying with the freaking uh, bride and bride. Yeah. And then, or like I'm at an open mic and I'm filming people, but I have to put the camera down and get up there and perform myself. Like I, I need to be as involved as everyone else that, I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that no. I'm filming. I mean, there is something to be said about that, like immersing yourself in the story and there seeing is. what you come out of it. Because there is. There, I mean, you know. You can be a fly on the wall and say you're being objective, but you're not. You're a human being. And oh, I want to so, be a fly in your face. So exactly. <laughs> so let, let me let me really get in there. Hey, listen, if you're looking to hire really me, feels. just know that there are points where I am a fly on the wall, and then eventually I fly to your face, and that's part of that's part of the Clotilda Big Couch experience. Yeah, that's the sh- that's showbiz, baby. It's <laughs> <laughs> just showbiz, baby. But I think this whole entire time, it was like, okay, well, if this doesn't work out then at least it's blank. Yeah. And that night it's like, all right, well, if this doesn't work out, at least I get to experience a party with, again, you don't know till you know. Everyone wants to be in LA and be partying with their favorite YouTubers until their favorite YouTubers l- are don't look, at, yeah, yeah, don't look at them with souls in their eyes. And guys, this is not everyone. And literally, like, your top favorite YouTubers, I promise, are at home actually making YouTube videos. They're not out at these parties. I mean, some of them are. Never meet your heroes, kid. <laughs> I actually didn't get to. Tana, if you're out there, someone to meet you. Uh, <laughs> She's um, next, actually. She's on her way. <laughs> oh my God, I'd be ready. Um, but yeah, all I have to say is like, you can go to the parties and meet and shake as many hands as you want. But at the end of the day, like, you know, a lot of the sh- hands that you want to be shaking have their hands on their cameras and are actually doing stuff. And that's the, the things I noticed going to these parties is like, a lot of names are dropped or a lot of houses are used. Like people will literally use their houses for parties but not show up to the parties themselves. And so it got to a point where it was so cold and empty to constantly be like going out to be looked at or noticed. I'd rather just be home actually making the videos myself and and be putting out content that makes people's hearts happy and not make them look at me like, God, I wish I could be living that life. Like, no, I want to show you a really dope way to love your life now, whether you're in LA or you're in freaking Kansas City, Missouri, which is where I am now. But, um, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. So basically, we are then. Uh, I filmed this party. I have footage of this party. I still don't know what to do with that, but. Um, Archive, 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 vault, vault, <laughs> yeah, vault, vault. Um, actually, it's funny. So, Chloe and I go on this whirlwind of a weekend, basically, with these people, uh, filming the setup of preparing to throw a music festival in the middle of COVID. So it is so chaotic. I'm in the back of a spaceship BMW, just like flying through Beverly Hills being like how did I get here and walking into with the camera recording into homes of like filmmakers and things like that who are supposed to be giving these guys advice of what to do and basically the advice would always just come down to be like uh this is going to be impossible because what happens when someone shows up to your event and tests positive for COVID you have to shut it down or I mean, you you have to, it, you can like, the whole like trick was going to be like, oh, we're going to test them at the door and then you're going to get, you're going to get, you're going to test negative and then you're going to get in. But what happens when they test positive? Because everybody had COVID. Every single one of those influencers at the party had COVID like at least once because everyone was going to these parties still. It, it, I mean, right. it's hard to tell a 20 something who is trying to get their career started to stay at home especially if you 
were already in LA paying that a monstrous amount of rent. Um, so it, it, you know, I have empathy for these for for because they were young kids. Really, they're young adults. There obviously there were some that were probably that were definitely there with bad like probably bad intentions. Uh, and in any society, my my perspective of it too was like in any society where any large event goes down, you're you're always gonna have two sides, right? Like, and if I and I guess I, I mean it was it was self absorbed. Like that was I mean it came down to we want to have fun over the health of our surrounding community, which was the most frustrating part for me personally because I had an older father who had right. had been diagnosed with cancer I, and so i was i was wrestling with that and eventually it came to a point where we decided that we were no longer going to shoot anything until we got paid like directly which ended us up in a on a park bench in los angeles near griffith park on a park bench discussing how we were going to get paid for the footage we shot and what did we what did we do oh my gosh that text i sent i'll never forget that text i sent that was so badass yeah they were telling us their budget was one million dollars yeah. so we were like all right they were saying more hand it over then yeah. they were like we got netflix on the line <laughs> we, got, we got people like we got connections just like lying through their teeth and then we were like, we have connections too. Like we know people too. We have experience too. Anytime and it starts to become like... this, you're <laughs> stick with weddings. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but like really, no. Obviously, if there's big projects, there's gonna be like, there's gonna be conversations, but there shouldn't be any aggressive disputes. There yeah. shouldn't be anything like that. If that's the vibe, then I think at that point, money is far too much of a priority, and and and. Of course, not that it shouldn't be involved. Like all these things make sense, but there's a point where there's enough conflict in a project you're doing where it's like, all right, you know to back away now because intentions are getting muddled now, and this is feels like a weird vibe. Right, and then it comes down to a point that you basically you want to be able to say a number and them to be instantly yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's what you're worth. Of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like we want to work with you. We want to do this. It has to be friendly. But we were on this park bench discussing rates. And we sent them over a number because I was angry. <laughs> I was very upset about how we were being treated and how this was like a total disaster and a waste of time. But we set a number. Do you remember what that number was? $11,000. $11,000. You want the footage? Pay us. Well, it was also like what the things that they were saying that they were going to use the footage for. Mm -hmm. Like it was kind of 11000 was a small amount for the profit they could make from the film itself, given the outcome that they were telling us was going to potentially be the case. It makes it to Netflix. It makes it to this. It makes it right. to that. Okay. If that's the case, then 11,000 is like small, right. but for the whole camera crew filming the entire thing, if all filming you mean our time, just everything, honestly, I would, if I could go back in time and stand by that bench and tell us, I'd say, do it again. And then I'd we say, did it for, I'd say 12, make it 15. <laughs> All right, let's go back. Yeah. We book the tickets tomorrow. Show up at the doorstep. We have the footage and we're going to release it unless you pay us now. <laughs> you pay us now. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah, they, they know. They, they're they coming. They're breaking down the door. Right, the books are listening. Mm -hmm. I don't no, know. For real. And then this whole thing, basically they were like, we're not going to pay you that much money. 
and they like gave us a number which was like closer to like no they didn't give us a number they backed they backed out after that they, they just stopped they talking texting, to us all together and then really? we were like all right we'll take anything we can get no they were texting me they were saying they would give me like 200 300 bucks for okay. the footage and i said no <laughs> you're not getting this like that was like 200 300 barely covers the trauma like <laughs> are you kidding me uh and yeah and this took chloe chloe and I, clotilda and i's friendship to the precipice again which i think makes great friendships yeah. really is basically we came to a point where we were challenging one another where it was like i can't we can't take these things we can't we have to expect more from us and we were at the time going in two different directions which was yeah. uh well, we didn't really know. I mean, know. my direction took me to living out of my van, driving around the country, and your direction took you to where? The middle of cold Maryland. Yeah, which was... Living in an off-season vacation town for three months, starting a jewelry business. Yes. <laughs> Tell me more about this period of your life, because I don't actually know that much, because we were kind of in a zero-dark 30 period at the time because of just the directions we were going in life. Yeah, I think that, like, I think my whole life I thought that there was this, like, gradual escalation towards my stardom in Los Angeles, California, Mm -hmm. because that was the narrative I was sold as a child. Like, that's what the mainstream media sells us. Like, that used to actually be the only avenue for artists to really get seen was through the entertainment industry, which was based in California. That is now outdated. We have different avenues now to where we can get seen. And I think that also being seen and the uh, how we see being seen is different now too. You don't need 10 million people to love you. You can have a few thousand or even 100,000 and or a thousand people and actually have a thriving business off of a thousand people, you know? Um, but I was going for gold. <laughs> <laughs> I later learned that like Ruby and Emerald is just as beautiful and but but I <laughs> diamonds. But I was going for gold. And you don't you don't you don't know what you need until you try and get after what you want right. and then it directs you towards what you really need. And every failure gets you closer to success. Yes. And like Los Angeles is full of so many lessons, but like it seriously got to a point in Los Angeles where like I think my intentions were so far off from who I truly am and everything I did and always remaining Clotilda. And it was such a beautiful time. I made so many beautiful friends and like it was freaking incredible. So I'm not going to give you this story of all Los Angeles about it being bad and toxic. Like those areas exist. But as soon as I started to pinpoint them, I started to divert, divert from them to the point where I went home because <laughs> I just wanted to break altogether. And then going home uh, eventually turned into me moving my stuff back. And then it was literally like, oh my gosh, like who am I without uh, striving for stardom? Like who is that Who is that girl who thinks she's enough right now? Well, I think she just might like making some jewelry for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's so beautiful. And um, so I moved in with one of my friends who, uh, Jamie, Jamie Berg, if you're out there, I love you so much. And, um, she, uh, she had a production company and she asked me to be on its, its talk show. It's a virtual, virtual talk show, the intro, the introvert room Mm. once a week, which is like, 
there, there, you're going to have opportunities in your life that just like feel right in your heart and are just aligned with you. And the show she basically pitched to me would be me talking to different people of all different genders, backgrounds, races, artists, everything, and asking them questions about their life. And it was awesome. We did it every week until eventually they named it the Clotilda Show. <laughs> and it was and a dream. We're living in it. And it was a dream. And then, and then um, it was light. <laughs> it was actually really crazy how it happened because um, we were talking about wild horses. And I was like, God, I've always wanted to see wild, horse, wild horses. And she was like, we actually have wild horses at my house where I live. And I was just like, oh, that's crazy. She's like, wait, you're on the East Coast now. Because I had started the show when I lived in California. And I moved back to the East Coast and I was still doing the show. Uh-huh. And at this point, I was only three hours from her. And she was like, you got to come visit. So I go and I visit her and the wild horses. Um, and uh, this is in Ocean City, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Until it, a week turned into two. That turned into literally three months. And I sold jewelry. I made jewelry and I sold it out of Maryland. I would ship it out to different uh, people from my TikTok audience um, and Instagram and stuff like that. Um, and I was just making TikToks and selling jewelry and doing the talk show and... Um, you just go, I was just going through phases where I had just had to be okay with who I was right then and there. Like that had to be okay. And I learned a lot about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you were literally putting the pieces back together. Oh my gosh. It was like, it, it, it was so dark and so beautiful. Cause I feel like in those moments is when you connect the most with the people around you, not just this like ominous audience in your head that like you're gonna find one day you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like um and we are right by the beach in the winter so yeah spend a lot of time there yeah and so you spend about three months there and you also have some recorded stuff of that which will show up in this next documentary of yours but before we get uh carried ahead of ourselves when did you decide that kansas city was the spot for you I was fully ready to give Los Angeles another go. (laughs) (laughs) She said, Mama, I got these jewelry. The devil works hard, (laughs) but God works harder. (laughs) So I was like, all right, this is what I'll do. Do you believe in second chances? (laughs) I said, this is what I'll do. I'll make my way to California. Slowly. Right. I'll stop in Kansas City along the way. The plan is never to stay in Kansas City. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll stop there along the way. I'll get a two-month lease. I'll figure it out. I'll find someone who can give me two months in an apartment, and we'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. And I had my two months, and I uh, was working at a jazz bar in Kansas City, a really famously renowned- Shut them out, shut them out. Jazz bar. Or no, don't shut them out. Why? Well, what stories are we going to tell? No, we don't need to talk in detail, but... Okay, can, you, mean, edit, can you edit the last five seconds out? Yeah. And I'll start over. Um, So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean... Well, because if you really want to get into it, there's gonna it's a, it's a pretty relevant part of my singing journey. Yeah, I mean, so let's do it. Just, yeah. I mean, it is, and I don't think there's... I mean, just say it. You know what? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Okay, okay. Um, so, so... Um, I, I decide I'm going to go, I decide I'm going to move to Los Angeles. No. Okay. Fuck. Where were we? So we're in Maryland and we are going to give Los Angeles a second try because you put the pieces back together yes. enough to say, you know what? We're yes. Going for, we're going for gold. Like I'm never, yeah. I'm not giving up on this dream. 
I also just hate, like, I hate giving up. Yeah. And, and you, you hate taking an L. I hate taking an L. Right. But I realize that we define our L's. But this one, I was like, but L's built society defines this one, and yeah. I'm going to get a win. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm you, the L's are meant to happen. Yes, they are. You need them to grow, and you need them, because here we are. So basically, you're on your way to LA. Yeah. So and now you I'm like, all right, you get two months in Kansas City. Just yeah. collect yourself, be with some friends. Yeah. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, go move to Kansas City for like a couple months, and then I'll go from there and see see what I want to do. And it's the end of the second month, and uh, I was working at a really local, uh, really locally famous jazz bar, the Green Lady Lounge, called the Green Lady Lounge. And it was like everything you would imagine working at a jazz bar, working at a jazz bar yeah. as a server would be. It was like, uh, it feels like a dream. Old timey prohibition era, uh, um, incredible jazz musicians. It's dark in there. I have to wear a black cocktail dress every night. I'm getting to know the musicians. We're out till like five, six a.m. every single night. We're working, listening to jazz at all these different jazz clubs, like drinking, getting to know each other, just like the most colorful, most beautiful thing at the same time. Like all these musicians are teaching me how to be better at music and at singing. Cause my intention working there was like, maybe I can't get in the studio tomorrow. Like maybe I'm not ready to be in a studio yet, but if I'm around music, inevitably I'll get better at singing and I'll get better at this. And one thing will lead to another. So like, it doesn't mean I have to get a job at a label today, but it means I, if I'm a server at a jazz bar, that's the closest to music you can possibly be. Where my parents were like, you should get, you should look into interviewing at Sony. And I'm like, no, I want to be in front of the music. I want to know how the music works so I can be better at music itself, not just the industry of music. Like, I want to be a musician. When did that happen? When was that, like, the commitment where you, like, actually? I was in Maryland. I was watching a new show. I forget the name of the show. We're going to get the name of the show. And the girl was a jazz server. She was a server at a jazz bar. Oh, so you were literally living the, the TV show. Literally, I emailed Green Lady Lounge in Maryland and asked them for a, a job and said I was considering moving to Kansas City, and I never got a response. And then I moved to Kansas City three months later, and I find out about this bar because I stroll in there one night, drunk with my some guy I was on a date with, and I look around, and I'm like, oh, my God. And he's like, this is the Green Lady Lounge. And I'm like, this is the place that I emailed months ago. Mm-hmm. And that night I was like, are you guys hiring? They're like, yeah, we're hiring right now. You should apply. And I applied. I got the job. Um, and it was the most beautiful experience of my life. Um, and so it's the end of the second month. My lease is going to be up soon. And I look at my roommate and I'm like, yo, I'm going to drive to California. Like, I'm going to go because I don't know. Like, I like it here. But in terms of, like, I'm still looking to this, like, ominous outcome that my life would become. I've now learned it is literally in moment to moment. Like, it's right now. It's recording this podcast. It's, like, the decisions I make when I go home tonight. Like, it's not a call I get when I go home tonight asking me to be on a Netflix series. And finally, all my insecurities go away. And it's my hopes and dreams come true. Like, it's a constant process. Not saying that can't happen. I would still have work to do if it did happen. Anyway. So... I decided I'm going to go to California, and the next day, Green Lady Lounge calls me, and they give me, like, two more offers uh, to, like, be a videographer there, to uh, be, like, a social media manager, and that they want my position there to be higher. And that was it. I was like, all right, the city chose me. Like, I'm staying. Like, they, and jazz is I actually, so important to Kansas City. I just said it's not that ultimate call. That call felt like that, like, in a way. Right. It felt like that it call like I was looking song. for. Like, oh, someone values me mm-hmm. for the things I'm passionate about more right. than just being a server. 
Um, right. And that was the decision to stay. And I've been here ever since. Mm -hmm. And so you start to kind of begin your music career, your music journey uh, through this jazz bar, but specifically through jazz. And tell me like what your relationships <sighs> with jazz. Oh my gosh. It's so hate love because like I wouldn't know what I know about music without it and without learning from jazz musicians. But a lot of them really did come out of the womb playing that well. And a lot of them are very practical and very organized in the way that they learn. And I'm not. I'm a perfectionist and I will like practice something until I learn it. But I just like to freaking sing. I just want to sing. Yeah. But I think that because I'm so that way, it's almost like the universe put me in a situation like that so I would literally get better because they made me keep track of when I was practicing my guitar. Like, It's not like they made me do all classical jazz kind of stuff, but a lot of it I did have to learn how to do. And things like counting, and ca counting is so strange with jazz and like all of these things that were so confusing and so intimidating, but over time started to make a lot of sense. Um, and I was actually going to sing for them. Mm. So I started rehearsing with them, with a jazz band, to sing. And I think it's one of those things where this is another really big lesson in my life of like, just because it looks like it could become something, if it doesn't feel like it's that now, it probably isn't going to be that later. And like, I knew that I really didn't want to sing jazz, but I thought singing at a jazz bar could then get me to this place, which could then get me to that place. And then I'll be doing soul pop, like whatever it is that I want to sing, you know, but right now this is, and I just didn't want, I, I didn't really want to be doing it. And so I rehearsed with them enough to where, to where it got to the point of like, everyone kind of knew it wasn't, it wasn't the vibe and it wasn't really where I think I fit. Um, and that was kind of made clear to me, which was hard, even though it was like, I didn't want it either. Mm -hmm. But when it's actually made clear to you and it's like put in your face like that and you're just starting out, oh my God, it ripped right. me in half. It literally like. It's such a crash. It's such a, especially because it felt, so just hearing what you describe, it felt like a movie. It felt like that TV show. Yeah. I literally like. You're chasing your dreams. You're in such a historic building, such a renowned building such a renowned business yeah. and all of a sudden you find yourself once again kind of told this isn't for you this isn't yeah this just it doesn't this just doesn't fit and like it was so abrupt and like everything I was doing with them just kind of like stopped where and where a lot of musicians and a lot of especially first newcomers to something as historically rich as music and jazz and things like that would have quit on the spot to be told by such a such a an establishment that this isn't your Dude, scene. The day, but not you. In fact, listen to this. The most jazz <laughs> part of you is the way you adapt on the fly. Hey, there it is. Yeah, that, if 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 there's any jazzy part about me, it's <laughs> improvising my life. Yeah. But yeah, so like when we got the email, I was with my friend who I was rehearsing with at, with at the time, a really good jazz musician, and he got the email and he told me. And he looked at me, and I was, like, emotionless. And he's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. Because if anything extreme happens, my first immediate thought is bigger picture. Like, it'll always be the first thought when something bad happens, whether it's a, literally like down to, like, a death. Like, my first reaction is always, like, bigger picture. What does this mean? 
this is going to serve me. And so I go for a walk. And I'm just so emotionless on the walk. And I'm like thanking the universe. And I'm like, ooh, well, that's kind of a weight off my shoulder because that was making me anxious because I don't think that's where I belonged. Mm-hmm. So that's dope. And then we get back inside. And he's like, all right, what do you want to do? Because I'm ready to not give up. And I'm not giving up on you. And I'll continue teaching you. And I was like, I want to sing. And he's like, all right, let's sing. He starts playing like a few chords to, I think it was like Let It Be by the Beatles or something like that. And I, the, I try to sing like the first word that comes out of my mouth. I'm like, eh, and I just break down sobbing, crying. And I'm just like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I sang for a few days, but I sang a, a few days later. And I was like, I'm not giving up. Because like anytime something like that happens, I'm always, I'm quiet for like two days. The last two days, <laughs> you know, we're going to get to that. Um, but cause I am, cause so you, you're, you're on, you're on kind of a, a backlog. You, you've been knocked down here and you're, you're realizing you're not going to give up and you're realizing this is something that's bigger than this is your calling. This is what you want to strive for. It doesn't matter who tells me no. Like ever since I was little, like the resilience is like, right. I give myself one to three days and there's, Oh, I think the camera cut, okay, but I'm going to replace the uh, battery, but here, you jump. can continue to talk. The lights are out right now. We're, we're getting back on, though. Should I wait? Should I wait? I'll wait. We had to do it on my camera died, and we're doing it on iPhone footage now, so whatever works. Am I right? Shout out to Steve Jobs. <laughs> Shout out to Steve Jobs. Okay, so uh, we where do we leave off? You are Resilience. What? Resilience. Resilience. So what is super cool to me is right around this point in your journey, I am driving around the United States and I have just had an extremely emotional uh, couple days on my journey around the United States living out of my minivan, my soccer mom minivan. And uh, one of the first people I call is for, I call my sister and then I call Chloe and I'm like, are you still in Kansas City by chance? And I said, boy, am I boy. am Sorry, I can't hear you, Danny. What would you say? Right. Yeah, I'm here. You got to come visit. Yeah, you got to come visit. I'll be here for good. Uh, and I pull up. It smells a lot better than L.A., dude. You got to get <laughs> yeah. over here. I pull up and this is the first time we hang out since L.A., which was like we are at that point not really speaking a whole lot. Um and this is the first time we see each other hang up so we catch up and it's amazing it's nothing like there's like nothing no bad blood there's no like it's like very it was like per it's one of those things where it's like wow this needed time and space and we got time and space and uh we come back and we meet up in Kansas City. And one of the things we well, do... Well, you're fresh off, like, the Badlands. I'm fresh off the <sighs> the Midwest just yeah. really rooting me into the ground. Well, I think yeah. we're both in a very heart-centered place. Very heart-centered place where I was coming off um, a pretty much another, like, or pretty much, yeah, like a friendship breakup uh, in a very dramatic way. And I realized that I really need friends, someone who, like, understand me at this point and so I reach out to you and I come through Kansas City and we hang out and one of the first one of the things we do is we go to Piano Room which is this bar in Kansas City shout out to the Piano Room Um, room. basically open mic Wednesdays uh, and that was the first time you've been to Piano Room no 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 no, you had been there before 
but you showed me the piano room and I remember sitting there and we were I don't know if you were yet performing I was you were performing yeah we were there with Mark Slim shout out to Mark Slim one of the best jazz musicians in the city yes shout out Mark Slim and um we I remember this woman came in and she was just like killed it like killed it and she was like I'm just I'm flying in from Minnesota and I, at this point I'm like I don't know if LA is the place for me I maybe I'm gonna move whatever but this woman comes in has this performance that just lights out and she's like this is all original songs I used to be a scientist she was like in a lab somewhere like with a crazy job that requires a crazy degree and she was like you know I decided that I love music and I'm going to pursue music and she performed some of these originals and she was like wow I just like love the energy here in Kansas City before us in this little throat little dive bar and she's like maybe I'll move here and I remember taking that as like a serious sign of like this person just happening to be at this place where I am at the same time in this magical place where uh, all these like kind of singer songwriters who are just like performing their own stuff for a very small crowd in this in this bar. And it's a magical moment. And I see you perform for the first time there and seeing you do your thing was incredibly inspiring because I knew you as a director, filmmaker, influencer, social media icon. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, like, I'll take it over I mean, performer, I guess. No. You are, were totally my fame, my TikTok famous friend <laughs> for a minute there. And, um, yeah, to see you switch gears and be like, I genuinely love music like it's not and and I think that might be the most courageous thing to have gone through years of telling people that this is who you are this is how you express yourself to then looking that in the face and saying hey I'm actually a musician I'm actually a singer-songwriter um first and that takes guts I feel like the first year of it I mean, it still comes up, not as much anymore, but the first year you're like not really believing it's you. You just feel like you're showing. You feel like people are going to like, everyone says this about imposter syndrome, but like I'm sure you've experienced it too. That feeling that like people are going to find out that you're a fake or something like that. Like, like you feel like, like you, you know, you just have to do it and it's going to get better. And it just felt like the first, like, I don't know. I would just have performances where it was just like, okay, I did a thing, but it's not who I am, when it is who I am. Right. And then you have moments in those performances that are out of body, insane, and you're like, I wouldn't trade feeling this imposter syndrome or this fear for the world if I get to feel this feeling. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking to someone about this where, oh, I was talking um, about writing, about because I'm working on this book, and... Um, sometimes you, you have to work on it every day and not expect this like grand feeling of accomplishment every single time you sit down to write. Yeah. And um, uh, sometimes you write and you don't get anything from it. You don't yeah. get any sort of feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. You don't get any sort of feeling. You just have more words on a page than yeah. you did last time, yeah. which is like 15 minutes same. is better than zero minutes. Exactly. And then sometimes you feel alive. Crazy. 
and you feel like you're doing something incredibly important. It feels like you are answering a call. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you have those moments where it's, you don't feel great. You don't feel good. You don't even have to feel good about it. Yeah. But those moments where you feel amazing on top of the world that's where you know this is it this is what i'm here for and this do you is... do you ever feel like those moments will come after a period of quiet and not feeling like you're shit and then suddenly something happens that's like what the of course this is mine just after you've accepted it might not be yours does that make sense uh-huh. um that's a great question i think that I don't know. I, well, actually, so I, for writing for me, um, I, that was kind of like a hiding, like I was hiding my writing for a while. I wasn't sharing my writing. Actually, when I came through Kansas City, and this is one of the biggest things that influenced me to move from my parents' house in Los Angeles to here in Kansas City, uh, is because this moment with you and our two great friends, Jared and Kaylin, um, I basically we went camping a weekend while I was out here and I, that was the first time I read some short stories that I had written. His writing is insane. <laughs> like no, I descriptive isn't even there's not like a word in the English language to describe how incredibly detailed and how well he can paint a picture for you in his writing. Yeah, I yeah. had to plug well, the podcast host real quick. Thank you. It's crazy. I appreciate you. But uh I remember reading my stuff and like the feeling of like he, like l- feeling you guys listen to my words feeling uh the feeling of painting this picture and guiding you through it was a moment that I'll never forget um and it was a moment where I was like this this might be my music this might be my thing um and then especially someone who had invested a lot into filmmaking and specifically directing. Um, that was kind of a hard realization to make that maybe actually there's a bigger love that there's actually a, there's another art form that that's for you and that, that that's your calling. And that's not to say like, I think directing and screenwriting and writing and it's storytelling is so connected to written word uh, so I'm I'm not giving up on like I'm a filmmaker and I will make more films. You're gonna but... fight whatever version of you has been like giving the least attention to something. You'll be like like as soon as it's just writing and everyone's like you're the best writer. You're like no, I'm a filmmaker too. Right, like right. you know I think that like they just hold different play uh, they uh, hold different importance at different times in our life. Right. And so basically it's crazy. So that night. That whole weekend that I think I was here for a week actually in Kansas City, which like really cemented my time, like my my plan to move here. Um, uh, we we discovered I don't know I mean I discovered a little bit of myself through watching you do your thing, watching you f- f- uh, say, "Yo, this is me. This is me right now." I don't care what you think about the old me, uh, but this is me right now, and I love music, and I felt inspired. I still feel inspired seeing you perform, and um, yeah, I I, uh, I think it's incredible what you do, and um, I think I should give you your flowers for always. But you know what's you funny? Know, Thank you for that. that. You when you're new to something, you like want people to tell you you're good at it, mm-hmm. but more 
then I get that feedback because I think that's just feedback my ego wants. I get, you have so much freedom. You like liberate me. Like you're free. And I think that's coming from a serious place of breaking out of not feeling like I'm good enough to do something and then being just wanting to just get get that away out of me off me it feels like there's something on my skin and I want to peel it off and so it's this like the best soul singers I think usually have not sang their entire lives and they decide to do it or it's coming from a place of pain and they're breaking away there's always this like break away that the soul just like seeps through the music and so thank you for for reflecting that back to me but I like that you use the word free mm-hmm. and uh yeah so um I almost I want to say that you, there is no box that you fit in because you feel so much and you're you're, you're kind of like this new I don't know. I feel like sort of like me uh, and others that we know, you're like this new multimedia artist of this generation that is like, I am a Swiss Army knife. I can do this, this and that. I can write. I can make you a short promo video. I can make you a promo song. I can make you all this and that. And obviously you have music prioritized. But recently, Mm -hmm. recently, 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 we had a giant step into a new field and when i say recently like hot off the presses recently i mean two days ago you had a drag performance at the one and only missy b's here on 39th street walk me through it oh my gosh drag was just one of those things that i everything drag is embodies everything i've always wanted to be in that Ever since I was little, like every time my parents would leave the house or if I was sad, upset, heartbroken, angry, it didn't matter. If I was feeling something, close my door, lock the door, I'm in front of the mirror, I'm lip singing to a song, I'm going crazy. That's how I express. A million times in the last probably two months, you drop me off after we hang out, I'm in my apartment, I'm in front of the mirror, I am emoting in front of the mirror the most dramatically I possibly can. Um... I think, too, I didn't realize that there was a place that I could just lip sync and dance. I thought that I would have to have, like, a huge record to then book a show, to then plan a dance choreography, to then ever be able to do what I did Wednesday night. Because I think I'm a cis woman, I didn't think there was a place for me in drag. And it became very clear to me that drag is a place that accepts all versions of all people to whatever extremes they want to bring it to. And I took my time learning a bit of time. I say I took my time. Like I studied drag for years. Like I went to drag shows like three or four weeks in a row probably and tried to immerse myself in the environment as much as possible. And then I reached out to a couple of friends who did it. And I was like, listen, I love the environment so much. My dream is to get on that stage in any form. It doesn't have to be drag in any form. But really, I'll do anything for you guys. Like, I'll do videography. Like, I'll do anything. I just want to be a part of what you guys do because it's so beautiful. Like, it's just so beautiful. And immediately, I was welcomed with open arms. And they were all like, no, bitch. Get on that stage and do drag. I was like, are you sure? Yes, you can. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, so Wednesday, I did that. I did that Wednesday. And <laughs> did that. I freaking did that. I did Say My Name it. by Beyonce. I was there. Yes. Saw it. 
with my own eyes. Oh my gosh. Maybe it, I'll put up the some of the video I got. It's like I think I I've gotten a lot of highs performing. I haven't gotten one like that because of how physical it was and how um not planned it was and how improvised it was and how solo it was. Music I've been playing with people up there, someone on piano, someone on guitar, um acting I mean, unless I'm reading a monologue for like an acting class or something, I'm up there with other actors. It was, it was, it, it, it as a performer who has wanted the spotlight and then accepted not needing it and then finally giving it to myself in that way of like, no, it's all you. What do you want to sing? What do you want to do? And what do you want to wear? And how do you want to act? And who do you want to be? And you get to decide all of those answers and then be that in front of judges. Right. Who critique you and they either send you to another round or not. And that shit was crazy because you have to be like, whatever they say, it's not, they're not responding to me and my spirit. They are responding to what I just did on this stage. And it was more empowering than it wasn't. So when I go into the next part of this conversation, I don't want anyone listening to like get scared to put themselves out there. Because until you feel the high that I felt on that stage, wooey, it's crazy. <laughs> and I promise by tomorrow it'll be so worth it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It, chase it for the rest of <laughs> No, seriously. No. Um, company and love is what's the most important in friendship and all those things. But, uh, yeah, no, the, a performance high is something I think everyone deserves to experience at some point in their lives. Um, and, yeah, I think – I can't remember the last time I was critiqued and um, – in front of people because like with right after a performance yeah directly to your face in front of an audience yeah I think the last time was uh I lived in New York for a summer and I went to Stella Adler School of Acting and that was pretty cutthroat but the classes were small and everyone was everyone in the room was there to act right whereas a drag performance an open show which is what I performed I was an open show so anyone can go all forms of entertainment anyone can go um also involves patrons and people who are not there performing drag. They're just there to watch. I had never been critiqued in front of an audience before, I don't think. This was on some, like, even in American Idol, it's just you and the freaking judges. I mean, I guess there's cameras, right? But, like, yeah, it was my first time being critiqued to that level. So I don't know that they could have responded in any way that could have made me perfectly satisfied. That being said, it's funny because I was, like, leading up to the show because it's such a new environment for me to perform in. I was so obsessed with not being disrespectful. Mm -hmm. I obsessed over it. I went through every detail in my head that could cover my bases and make sure that I showed up and respected the space in the best way possible. Right. And I ended up doing the most, apparently I didn't know, but the most disrespectful thing I could have done. <laughs> Which is Which so is funny. funny. How that works? It's just so funny how that works. Out of, but if, out of I could have never guessed that the thing that I did would be the thing that was deemed disrespectful. It would have been a million things before it was what they said it was. Which was. Which was basically so during these during uh, drag performances, uh, you can take tips from the audience. Like the the audience will hold out tips in their hands. Dollar bills. Yeah. Dollar bills, and you go around, you take dollar, the tips. Bills. Yeah. Now I was doing "Say My Name" by Beyonce, and as a theater actor. I've always been taught, like, you stay in character the whole time. Right. In drag, there are exceptions to that. And that's when you're taking the money, you are supposed to be 
I learned gracious and gentle. And I was none of those things when I took that money. And because I was in I was in character. I was it's say my name, Beyonce. Like her character in that song, she's upset. She thinks that she deserves more, deserves more than what she's getting. So I took the money with the energy of I deserve this, I deserve this, I deserve this. But it was the energy of the character. It wasn't me as a person. You've been out to dinner with me, you offered to pay. Right. And, and, I, <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, no, bro, don't let me pay. Like, whatever, whatever. Like, let's split it. I'll Venmo you, like, you know. But I finally got to be the opposite of that. Right. And I got to take what's mine, take my abundance. Like, it's almost, I think it kind of speaks to, like, how a part of me does receive money and like believe I'm deserving of abundance like yeah. seriously and like letting her take that freaking money from the universe you know whatever it is but right. apparently that was a huge no like a big no and so um that and then I think that they uh told me I they wished I had moved a bit more gracefully yeah. um so all these very real things that did not send me to the second round it's my first performance like that shouldn't be an issue right and leading up to the performance I was like oh yeah like it's, if I don't make it to the second round like like, you know, I'm, it's my first show. That's fine. And then if you're someone who's just like, I don't know, always, I like to win. I do like you're to win. A I'm a competitor. I'm so competitive, but I know that it, it's not the only thing that matters, but still there's always that voice inside. Yeah. And she didn't, she didn't get her win. She didn't even make it to the second round. And so she took a hit for a couple days there for sure. And I just, it's like, it's equally worth it though. Like the high experience, I would never to, I'm, I'm going to be back on that stage in two weeks and I'm so excited. And if I don't make it again, like who cares? I'll be back the week after the week after that. And I will never stop. But like when, when it feels like to you, people don't approve of you, which isn't the case. They're just responding to your performance, not to who you are. Your ego can like go back to all of the smallest details during the performance, during the night before, after that could reflect whatever your ego wants to be confirmed. If that's good or if that's bad, say you won. And you're going back here, yeah, that's right. I did this and that. I did that. You don't win. You're like, oh, fuck. Well, maybe it was the conversation I had with the judge before. And, like, did I say something? Like, you know, did, did they not like me? Like, all of these things. When it's like, bro, no one's even thinking about it anymore, probably. They're just doing what they're good at and what they know. Living the life, yeah. From their own perspectives, you know, so. Another performance. Yeah. I'll be, I, I, I'm, like, almost over it. Right. Almost. <laughs> I'm almost. so close. By tomorrow, you'll get your really dramatic Instagram <laughs> caption. I promise. Like, it's going to be so great. Oh, it's coming. The redemption arc. I love it. Built. It's a bit addicting. That's the yeah. thing. Like, you just have to, like. Well, it's fun when you, I was just kind of talking about this with you and other people about when you, like, you know, there's, like, the saying that goes around. It's, like, main character moment. You're a main character. But. Really, when you lean into that and you like lean into the narrative that is your movie, or yeah, the narrative that is your movie, it it it, it uh becomes a kind of addicting. It can be, yeah. honestly, it can get toxic sometimes. But well, there's a part of me that was like, did you want to lose? Yeah, right. Where it's like, <laughs> did yeah. you manifest losing? <laughs> Michael Jordan didn't make his high school basketball team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that narrative playing in the back of my head because like a Lady Gaga was this and that. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, right. And it's like. But it is fun, and I thought, I mean, like, being, you were incredibly courageous is what you were going up on that stage, because, yeah, it was kind of a minefield that you were navigating, because you, what you are doing is, there is kind of uh, a stigma tied to it already, which is your femme uh, portraying femme, um, 
And so that's kind of new ground in the drag scene as I have understood it. And I'm not like a pro or anything about uh, what the drag scene is necessarily. But um, I want you to tell us a little bit of the story that happened after the show because I think it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, in terms of like femme portraying femme, I also, I just to comment on that, I feel like I realized that all of this is all so fluid that at the end of the day, I was going to be accepted no matter what. People couldn't really even assume what I was, nor do I on many levels even know what I am really. Right. You know? Right. I kind of identify as like an omni being because I'm going to get up there and do mask at some point too. And like, I'm still figuring out my sexuality um, and how I identify even like gender wise in this world now still. So like, I'm kind of, I feel like going into it as an alien in many ways. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Um, Some might say that you're the Giannis Antetokounmpo of drag. Wait, what's that? You can play the five, the four, and the three. And if you're crazy, the one. (laughs) Is that a sports thing? Yeah, that's an NBA player thing. If uh, any of my NBA fans have made it this far, I appreciate you. (laughs) But yeah, drag is supposed to be a world of everything that is. um, While also uh, being rooted in a lot of very important culture. Yeah. So... Right. All those things being taken into account. Um, yeah, so it's after the show and um everyone's really all the all the girls are so freaking wonderful and so freaking nice and like for the most part like everyone was was like fine with the outcome, but like there's still this like there's still an energy, an undeniable energy um whenever there's any loss of some sort. Like you watch in soccer or football, like one team wins and they're like breaking on top of the world and it's beautiful and the team that lost you're just like damn like there's such this like contrast and like that contrast definitely existed i think in in that room but again everyone on some level is also just there to express themselves so if you get on that stage and you express yourself like you did win you did you know and i knew that about myself i was like dang like you know but still there's that voice of like but you still don't make it to the second round shut up shut up let me let me do my thing whatever so uh, my friends who had came there to watch me go home and like I could have gone home at that point and a voice inside was like, you got to just stay and be in, sit in this emotion for a second. Sit in this like ha- now almost empty bar feeling like you're feeling and see what comes out of it. See what maybe friendships come out of it. You know, there were still some girls staying after the show. See what comes out of this. Like don't leave yet. And you know. You know a bitch does not go out on an L. I was taking my W because there was karaoke after the show. Let's go. And anyone can do karaoke. Like, anyone can get up there. Like, we were all allowed to be on that stage alone. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, karaoke is one of the... I I would advise anyone, whether they're a performer or not, to go to karaoke. Because they give you a spot on a stage, no matter who you are. (laughs) And so, anytime I'm feeling anything, like... That's how I decide what I'm going to sing because I want it to come from an honest place because that's when I sing the best. Is like I know singing best by emoting. I never really learned how to sing. I just went with what my emotions were doing. Um, so I sang first The Climb by Miley Cyrus, and then I sang Hurt by Christina Aguilera. 
Um, mm-hmm. You guys know that big ballad. Yeah, of course. I want to hold you in my arms. <laughs> I would take away the pain. That one. So. Well, a little sneak peek. <laughs> a little sneak peek. Um, and I just ripped into it. I sat in the, it was the opposite of my drag performance. I literally, because I was so sad. I sat in a ball, like in the corner of the stage and like closed my eyes and just like ripped into it. And like my voice did things I hadn't like felt it done do before. And just the ways I was like moving my throat that could help me hit notes that Christina hit. And it was just like, oh, it was incredible. It It felt so good. So after that, I leave, and on the way out, the security guard stops me, and he's just like, that. That's what you need to do. I was like, what? He was like, sing. You need to sing. Whatever you just did up there, that's what's going to get you to where you need to be. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Thank you. And that felt so good because singing is even more vulnerable than what I had done lip singing. I mean, that was vulnerable, but, like, singing is just one of those things. Using your voice, it's, like, even more scary. So the fact that it was like the scarier thing that he told me would would get me to where I need to be was like really cool. And so then I went into my car and I'm about to go home and I realized I left my USB key that had my songs on it because you bring you bring a USB key with your songs that you're going to perform uh, to the show and then they plug it in and that's how you, what you perform, whatever. I left in the dressing room. So I was like, go back in the dressing room, get the USB key. Also wasn't my USB key. <laughs> Danny knows sometimes I leave other people's equipment places. <laughs> so, so I go back into the room and like everyone back there who had, uh, everyone who was back there had like one and they were all on like cloud nine and then the best mood and my whole Humpty Dumpty ass walks. And I was like, anyone have my USB key? And they look at me and one of, uh, one of them is just like, bitch, don't even look at me. I was like, what? And they were just like, you need to motherfucking sing next week. And I was just like, for real? They were like, bitch, don't even. And they literally look at the room and they're just like, y'all hear this bitch sing? And I was just like, it was like, ah. right when you're about to like, because I was about to get in my car and cry the whole way home. Right. And it's just like those moments where I feel like the universe will come back in and be like, snap out of it, bitch. And... Uh, they all ended up gassing me up for like 10 minutes and going through my performance and like not critiquing me in any way, like really, truly like putting me on a pedestal and like uplifting me and like telling me all the best parts about myself and like asking me if I do ballroom. And um, they said they, they weren't. Cut, cut, cut. I'm actually not going to mention that part. It's okay. Just continue. Okay. 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 Um, and it was like, all the reasons I had like done the show in the first place ended up prevailing at the end of the night and just being in an environment of people who were just so beautiful and colorful and amazing and uplifting. And it was all those things at the end of the night. And so I felt like I went out on a hard W. Um, and yeah, all that being said, I mean like the, the critiques kind of still came up in my head a couple days later, but they go away and then you get back up on the stage and I guarantee you there'll be a time again, this mic. And I'm like, he, I want a booking. <laughs> Cause you win, if you win the, sh- if you win the open show, you get like a full booking. And at some point, like I know I'll get one. Right. Um, but yeah. Wow. That's, I love that story so much because I feel like it was really you stepping into something and early, I don't know. You've already stepped into so much and this was just another gigantic step in the story. But, um, 
to close this off because we are we can talk forever. Yeah, we could and probably talk till this the morning. Probably not the f- last time you will be on this podcast because we have so much still to talk about. Yeah. But to wrap it up, especially with any listeners, especially young listeners, especially young women listeners, who how what would you tell them um if they were feeling a little bit uh, nervous or afraid of stepping into themselves. Ooh. Oh, it'll it'll be, you don't know it right now because your body hasn't experienced the emotions that you're gonna experience, like the chemicals that your brain's gonna release, the feelings that you're gonna feel, whatever you wanna call it, however you wanna define it. You haven't felt those things yet. But trust that when you do feel them, it's gonna be so incredible, you're not gonna wanna stop but it's going to take going through this initial process of being terrified and uncertain and doubting yourself to get to that point, but it will pass and it'll get shorter and shorter every time till eventually it's like breathing and you just get to do what you love. Amazing. That is the social media starlet, poet, filmmaker, singer, songwriter, and now drag queen, Clotilda. Thanks. I guess drag princess. I Dra- think drag princess. Drag princess. Right that is Clotilda. And that is um, a wrap on the first episode of Prosperous Pit. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. You're the best. I love you so much. See you soon. XOXO. Bye, guys. <laughs>